Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Method Ministries. I'm here with Drew Wilson, and we're going to talk about Christian perfection. Uh, but as we'll talk about, you know, it's not really a popular term or even the term that John Wesley liked. Instead, we're going to talk about entire sanctification. So Drew, welcome and go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Yes, Lucas, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm Drew Wilson and married with two kids, uh, currently a student at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, uh, pursuing the ordination track. Uh, with that. Uh, outside of that, don't really have too much formal education, but I love theology. I love the Bible. And more importantly, I love Jesus. So um, just uh, trying to seek after truth. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Great, great. Well, well, let's talk about entire sanctification. I'm I'm interested in talking about this with you because you've been doing a lot of studying, you know, and we talked a little bit, like, you know, a lot, you know, you read a lot of the great Methodist Wesleyan theologian. So can you lead this conversation for us and, and you know tell our audience what what is entire sanctification? Yeah, so uh, entire sanctification, man, that's a, a big big topic. Um, so as I've been thinking about this, uh, I came up with kind of my call it a hybrid definition. Uh, entire sanctification or Christian perfection are terms used in Wesleyan theology to express the fullness of salvation from sin and separation unto the Lord to do his will always. Uh, in this, we come to enjoy perfect fellowship with God and the second blessing of being cleansed from all sin and filled with all the fullness of his holy love. You, uh, uh, Drew, so, you know, you mentioned something about a believer, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, I forget the you know, verbiage you use, but cleansed from sin or free from sin. You know, can you remind me, you know, you, you know uh, the language that you uh, used? Yep, uh, being cleansed from all sin and filled with the fullness of His holy love. Got it. So, so like I know from uh, like like an average, I guess pew per, you know pew uh, sitter or tender, you know you know whatever kind of language you want to use. When when they automatically hear about tire sanctification or Christian perfection, they you know and they hear terms like that, their you know their alarm goes off and and you know their knee jerk reaction says that oh that's either heretical. Or that's not true, or maybe legalistic. So, like, 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 let's really try to draw this out because you know that this is the 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 heart of disagreement or or the point of contention where it comes down to: Can a believer be free from sin? But what we have to do and what we have to draw out is: What do we mean by these terms? Because you know, as we talked about a little bit, we don't talk about certain things where we can approach a topic and try to judge. Okay, is is entire sanctification biblical? Because again, we only have one concept of, of, of sin. So, you know, what do we mean? You know, what is Wesleyan theology, doctrine? What did, you know, Methodist, what did John Wesley himself mean by using language like that and using terms like Christians can be um, in, in a state of holy love and, you know, so on and, and so forth? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question, Lucas. Um, I guess one of the best ways that I can think of to answer that question is, um, John Wesley, as you know, he was a staunch believer in the authority and the uh, the power of Scripture, and everything John Wesley himself came to believe was derived from the Scripture itself. And um, to my knowledge, as John Wesley was examining the Scriptures, uh, he really drew this uh, optimistic uh, understanding of entire sanctification um, from what the Bible teaches. Um, so, for example. Um, uh, Jesus says, be ye holy as I am holy. Um, you know, this really comes down to, I think, our understanding of grace and the power of grace 
uh, to work within the believer's life and uh, really just looking at the cross of Jesus and asking yourself, what was it that Jesus accomplished there on the cross? Um, and this is why I love terms like, uh, you know, if somebody's not comfortable with using a term like entire, sanctif entire sanctification or Christian perfection, um, you know, fullness of salvation, to be filled with the fullness of God. Um, so the whole idea there is really drawing from that, what did Jesus accomplish at the cross? And then asking yourself, is the grace of God more powerful than the sin in my life? And I think if we can answer in the affirmative that grace is more powerful uh, than the sin in my life, um, then I think we will have no issue understanding um, or at least beginning to grasp what it means to be truly cleansed of all sin. And, and you know, and I know we're going to talk about this later on, but uh, in the book of 1 John, uh, 1 John talks about this all throughout. And one of the most powerful phrases that we get from 1 John is that Jesus came for this very purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And right before that, John talks about that the works of the devil are sin, that that's what the devil has been doing from the beginning is sinning. And so here we get this strong idea that Jesus came for this very purpose to destroy the works of the devil, namely sin. Yeah, and and I just want to draw it out for the audience too, because you know, you know, again, like you know, uh, when they use you know uh, use these verbiage like that, don't don't be tripped up. So you know, you know, what we have to do is start with okay. So John Wesley had this this um, view or or this understanding, and you know, Wesleyan theology does that there is voluntary sin and involuntary sin. Now, some people, you know, they, you know, they hear that, like, you know, what does that mean? Voluntary and involuntary sin. And, and this is where I said, like, you know, we don't get taught these things. If you go to a, uh, you know, I guess like average church in America, you know, we don't use these terms. We don't talk about these things. You know, we don't teach these things. So, you know, Drew, you know, what, you know, what do we mean by voluntary and involuntary sin? Because, you know, again, you know, uh, you know, just for the audience, th this is the key. Like, if you want to understand entire sanctification, which, which, by the way, you know, that is a term that, that Wesley preferred. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like just like, you know, majority of people who affirm it, you know, prefer that term, not Christian perfection. Because, again, it goes back to what do we mean by this? And this goes goes into and the key is sin and or voluntary and involuntary sin. So we have to understand these concepts. And really, I do believe that if if people can understand this, what we mean by these terms a lot of them would probably be like, oh, okay, I, you know, I, I guess I agree with you, or maybe they would side with you, or at least they wouldn't have that big of a problem with it. Because I heard uh, a couple of weeks back, you know, there's one pastor, he was criticizing the Wesleyan view of this. And I, and I know that this pastor probably didn't have an understanding of sin and voluntary sin, or, or really knows what John Wesley taught on that, because I, I'm, I'm positive that it, maybe if he did, or I'm hopeful, maybe if he did, he wouldn't be making this claim. So, you know, again, Drew, you know, draw it out for our audience. You know, what do what did Wesley believe about sin, uh, sin being voluntary or involuntary? Yeah, no, Lucas, that's a great question. Um, so by voluntary sin, John Wesley meant those uh, willful sins that we intentionally commit that are violations against God's moral law. So it's it's sin that we both are conscious of doing but it's also the consciousness of the law itself. So for example, I'm a married man. Um, I know 
I have a, I have a very good understanding what the Bible teaches about uh, biblical sexuality and what I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do. Namely, I'm to be faithful to my wife and nobody else. And so if I go and break God's moral law by doing something contrary, namely not being faithful to my wife, this is kind of an extreme example, but I think it's a good example. I am willfully violating God's law. I'm willfully transgressing the law that I know um, to be true uh, and binding. And in so doing, I am, I am, I'm sinning in, in, a, in a willful sense. And I think if we just grasp what we mean by willful, I don't think there will be, be any uh, confusion. But, it, but I think the, there, the other side to that is also recognizing that there's a conscious awareness of the law itself. Um, or the commands of God. Um, so when John Wesley talked about willful sin, I think in its most practical sense, that's what he meant. He he meant uh, a willful act uh, or volition against God's law, um, and we do it knowing that it's wrong. Yeah, and so you know, again, you know, this is the key because when you know uh, we say that a believer can be in a state of entire sanctification, we are not saying John Wesley did not teach that they won't be without involuntary sins. And, uh, you know, another way to talk about those is like your, your, your natural infirmities, right? Like, like I'm not going to be in a state where if, if I do by God's grace, enter into a state of uh, entire sanctification, not saying um, I had in, in the past, I'm saying, you know, let, you know, let's say Lucas or you, you know, insert, you know, whoever they enter this state of entire sanctification, they're not going to be in a state where they don't need to grow anymore. And they don't have imperfections like and ailments and proneness and that they can never fall from the state, they're still going to have involuntary sin, but they're not going to voluntarily sin. So like Drew said, they're not going to willfully sin. Like he's not going to willfully cheat on his wife. It doesn't mean that he won't fail his wife involuntarily. And I think this is very helpful for understanding things too. Even in my life, you know, when I sin or when somebody sins against me, did they intend it? Did they not intend it? Because, you know, people let you down, like, you know, marriage, like, like marriage is, is a great way for this, right? Spouses let each other down. Sometimes it's not voluntarily, you know, uh, not voluntarily. The things that are voluntarily, we, we recognize that, in, you know, intuitively, and then that's when we get mad and angry at them. But when, when, when we realize, okay, they didn't mean this, we give them and extend them more grace. And I'm not saying that, you know, God dispenses, you know, his grace, you know, based upon this, but I'm trying to just draw out the point. This is what we mean by entire sanctification. It's not the believe is perfect, can't sin isn't prone to temptation, you know, so on and so forth. It's just that he's not going to willfully sin against God because, and you mentioned a term too, and I want to talk about this. You mentioned a term, holy love. And I love this term. I think, you know, I, I'm going to try to use it more. What, you know, what do we mean by holy love? Yeah. So um, if I understand it correctly, uh, holy love is that, that absolute uh, perfect love of God that's uh, been shed abroad in our hearts. Um, so it's that untainted, uh, unadulterated, uh, perfect love of God um, that God is um, showing to all of us. Um, so I, I know John Wesley talked about um, quite frequently in many of his sermons, especially on perfection, uh, sanctification. Uh, he, he used that term holy love um, to help us understand that we're not talking about some watered down um, worldly view of love here. When, when we talk about God's love being imparted into us in a very real way, we're talking about 
the love of God, that agape love um, that comes only from God. And, and that's the love that God mm. uh, calls us into uh, to enjoy and, and not only to enjoy, but to also be that embodiment whereby that's how we love our neighbor. And I mean, we can uh, see this right in the, the very commands itself. Um, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so I think when John Wesley was talking about holy love, he's, he's talking about that absolute perfect love of God that uh, he wants to uh, fill us with um, as, as the sin in our lives uh, is cleansed. Um, and therefore, all that's left is, is holy love. Yeah, and, and that's a great way to distinguish between, you know, you know, just love and then there's Christian love. You know, because naturally men can love, like, you know, God gave man the capacity, like Christ talks about even the enemies, you know, even sinners love those who love them. But Christians have holy love and they're filled with filled with holy love. Like Paul talks about the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That that's that that's holy love. It's it's sanctified, set apart. And the entire sanctification is when you'll be filled with holy love for God and for neighbor. And when you're in this state, you you won't voluntarily sin. You'll still be prone to involuntary sin and infirmities. And and you know, do you know this is another way, and I try to try to draw this out with people and help. But this is also kind of like a forgotten term or not really talked about. But you know, talking about voluntary and involuntary sins, it's it's talking about too sin and actual sin. Like you know, uh, you know, we talked about original sin, and when you study original sin, the, you know, these terms get used. There's sin and actual sin. But to you know, to the average person, um, you know, church attender, again, you know, these terms aren't used. You know, so we're not taught this. You know, we you know we don't know this. But I will say for people who who, who do know their theology a little bit more. That that also goes into voluntary and involuntary sin because we can recognize there's a thing of sin objectively, but then there's actual sin. So that's when we actually willfully commit the sin. That's what John Wesley is is talking about, and or Wesleyanism is is referring to when we're talking about entire sanctification. Uh, now, um, I will say too, and you know, this is important to draw out is that. How you know how do how does a believer enter into the state? Does, does a believer just you know work hard, try to you know do do as you know like oh man I got to reach this level over here I got to keep climbing climbing climbing? No, John Wesley taught you know Methodism teaches that it's it's by faith. So 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 just as justification is by faith, sanctification is by faith. It's relying. It's 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 trusting in in god's grace which you know you know this goes into prevenient grace not that we're going to talk about that now but you know uh you, you know that's a great doctrine we want to talk about it but even entire sanctification is by god's grace and that's received by by faith which is awesome because again you know some people can get tripped up and you know maybe think okay i gotta work for this i gotta try to earn this no it's it's by faith just as your sanctification i'm sorry just as your justification is by faith it's it's by god's grace just as all things in the Christian Christian life are. No, Lucas, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's a, a crucial point to, to highlight. Um, you know, and I think Arminians, uh, Wesleyans, we get accused of lot, a, a lot of, you know, um, leaning too much on the quote unquote goodness of humanity uh, because of how we affirm libertarian free will. Um, so we oftentimes get accused of uh, being Pelagius in our in our thinking as if we can somehow work and earn um, God's favor, which is just a gross misrepresentation. Yeah. I, I mean, you will not find one of John Wesley's sermons 
um, where he ever, as a matter of fact, this was uh, a, a focal point in John Wesley's life uh, where he came to this realization um, because he himself realized that he was in his beginning years, um, he was very much works uh, orientated in his thinking. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's not about uh, works at all. I mean, works are a part of it, uh, but the works come from being in that relationship. It, it's a natural byproduct of being in right relationship uh, with Christ. So uh, kind of like what James says, uh, some say, I will show you my faith ap uh, apart from my works, but I will show you my faith by my works. And, uh, you know, I think a great scripture uh, to really highlight this point is uh, out of Ephesians where it says we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the free gift of God. Mm. And one of the best ways uh, that I've heard that scripture explained uh, is from uh, um, Dr. Adam Clark. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's he's, he's uh, notorious for his whole commentary on the Bible. He was yep. a staunch Wesleyan himself. And Dr. Adam Clark uh, makes this distinction because to a degree, and I know we're not talking about Calvinism, Arminianism, but to a degree, I agree with the Calvinists that faith is a gift. As a Wesleyan, I don't have any issue affirming faith as a gift um, because of how I affirm the doctrine of prevenient grace, because all of salvation is by grace, including uh, this very concept that we're talking about today, sanctification. And what I appreciated about Dr. Adam Clark is that he points out that, of course, faith is a gift. It's all a gift. The power to believe comes from God. Yeah. But the act of believing is man's. And so when we're talking about uh, entire sanctification, it, it, all, all, we're, all we're affirming is simple faith in Christ that what he has promised, he will do. He promised to complete the work that he has started within us. Uh, he will do that. It's, it's all of us trusting in all of him. And all we're doing is taking the power or the ability to believe, and we're, we're trusting in him to do it. And as we do that, we find ourselves growing in that fullness of salvation while God is uh, cleansing our hearts of that sin. Yes, amen. Um, I, I, I remember with my interview with, with Dr. Kenneth Collins, he talked about how, uh, you know, people will say that they, oh, you know, they believe in God's grace and the Calvinists do this all the time too, right? The doctrines are grace, but then they don't believe that God's grace can transform your being, right? And, and this is a great Wesleyan term, transformative grace. What do we mean by that? Grace transforms your being. So this is why we believe that a, that a believer can be filled with holy love for God and not voluntary sin. Why? Because God's grace transform your, transforms your being. And, and it's ironic too, because like Drew, like, you know, people will, will talk about, oh, God's grace, you know, uh, as if God's grace is strictly just for covering your sins and letting you off the hook, right? God's grace uh, works in you, transforming your being to be more like Christ so that you will do good works, right? Like, T T Titus 2 is great for this. It talks about the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, and then goes into teaching us to deny ungodliness. So here we have God's grace, not giving you an excuse for sin, saying, oh, nobody's perfect. You can't be perfect. God's grace. God's grace, God, God's word says, teaches us to deny ungodliness. So it's like, well, who who really believes in grace here, right? Like, like this is a great, this is a great way to, to test. Do I really believe in God's grace? Well, do you believe that God's grace can overcome your sin, right? Do you believe that God's grace can give you dominion over sin? Because that, that's biblical grace. It's not the grace that says work salvation, 
that's heresy. No, nobody's perfect. You know, that's that's a denial of God's grace. That you know, you know, that's a rejection of it. Biblical grace is transformative grace. So you will be growing in your love for God and and for neighbor. I'm not going to say that you're going to be perfect. You know, Wesley didn't teach that. Methodism doesn't teach that. In in the sense of, you know, you, uh, you know, you ride, you made it. There's nothing more to grow in or do. You're not susceptible to temptations. No, but can a believer by God's grace enter? Where, where his heart is filled with holy love for God so that he won't voluntary sin? Yeah, amen. And we can receive this by, by, by faith. It's not by my works. It's by, by God's, God's grace. It's a gift that, that he gives, gives to us. So, you know, let's, you know, let's start, you know, draw us out, out then, Drew. So, what, you know, what are some biblical verses that we can give that, that you know, uh, teach, affirm, entire sanctification. Yeah, well, actually, you you just mentioned uh, one of them, uh, Titus chapter 2. I'm trying to pull up my exact references here. You got to um, get my Bible Titus too. chapter 2, I believe it's uh, verses 11 through 15. Um, this is actually one of my favorites that I, I have memorized. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly lives in this present age waiting for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from uh, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify, purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, I mean, Lucas, if I can just be honest with you, that verse I find to be so powerful because it not only affirms um, that salvation is all of grace, but it affirms God's universal love for all of humanity. Um, the unfortunate reality is that not everybody accepts that love, but it most definitely affirms. I don't see any reason to have to modify the word um, God's grace has appeared to all men. I think we can take that at face value. Yeah. Um, and so I, and then the word purify there, I think is very, very crucial because before that, grace seems to be transforming our outer man in, in a sense. But it also affirms how grace transforms our inner man through that terminology, purify. God is cleansing us of, of, that, of that inner defilement. Um, and, I, and I think here, and you were kind of, uh, I want to go back just a little bit of what you yeah. said earlier. The, what I love about the Wesleyan doctrine, as I've been studying it out, is not only is it very optimistic, um, which for a sinner like myself, that's great encouragement. Um, but its focus is on Jesus, his merits, his accomplishments, and, and, and the invitation I have to enter into that. And, and really, it comes down to the difference between merely imputed holiness versus imparted holiness. God doesn't just want to impute his holiness uh, to us. He literally wants to transform us. Uh, the the uh, biblical terminology here that we can think of is being conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. Uh, so we are talking about a true, literal uh, transformation of the believer, uh, whereby we are no longer slaves of sin, but we are slaves of righteousness. So I find that passage, uh, you know, out of Titus to be stunningly powerful and not only affirming the doctrine of entire sanctification, uh, because you will find in that passage, there is no excuse uh, to remain in willful sin because the affirmation is clear. God's grace 
far exceeds um, my, the power of sin in my life. Um, the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient, but it also clearly affirms uh, what we call prevenient grace. Um, and it affirms um, just the, uh, the sufficiency of the atonement. Um, so much, much more could be said on that passage out of uh, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. Yeah, and, and it says it right there, you know, in verse 14, if you think about it, um, it says, who gave himself for us. Well, why? According to this verse, why? That he might uh, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his, his own special people, zealous for good work. So, you know, in, in contrast to this, you know, we have this idea that Christ's death is so that we can just keep living our lives as we lived and get out of jail free card, right? <laughs> this verse says that Christ actually gave himself for us so that we would be holy. And this is crucial because like, you know, like, you know, you talked about imputed and, you know, in, in part of righteousness. So justification is when God says you're holy. Sanctification is when God actually makes you holy. And so this is what entire sanctification, you know, goes into is, is God actually making you holy? Will God actually make you holy? Does God's grace transform your being? The biblical response is amen. And we can see that this is the very purpose of why Christ gave himself for us so we can be holy. You know, shocker, right? Like God, God wants us to be holy. You know, who would have known? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, I've, and at the end of that verse, zealous for good works. I mean, if that's if that's not like the the cherry on top of the cake, I don't know what is. I know a lot of things that I'm zealous for, and it's not good works in the biblical sense. Mm. There's a lot of things that I'm zealous after that are completely unprofitable uh, to my Christian walk, my relationship with Christ, and so on and so forth. But the fact that that promise, because I, if I understand it correctly, a lot of the commands of God, John Wesley took them to also be promises because God would not command something if he did not intend uh, to uh, fulfill it and make make the fulfillment of that command possible to us as believers. Um, so the fact that Titus affirms that as if everything else before that wasn't already good enough, you know, looking for the blessed hope, uh, awaiting the coming of Jesus and, and you know, uh, we're doing these, these good works, so on and so forth. The, the fact that we're going to be zealous to do these works to me, describes nothing less than a radical transformation of the believer, uh, what John Wesley would also call uh, 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 purity of heart and purity of life. Um, it, it, yeah, you you know what I'm talking about, that that common phrase that John Wesley used often, uh, holiness of heart and holiness of life, mm, Yeah, uh, where it's, it's not just about, um, you know, going out and doing these things, but it, it's talking about the, the holiness of the heart as well, and these things flowing from that relationship yeah definitely there, uh, there's another verse you know uh, uh that i have and this is probably one of my favorites for talking about this and it's in first john and he says in um let me try to find the verse oh here he goes uh chapter four four verse 12 john says no one has seen god at any time if we love one another god abides in us and his love has been for perfected in us so so here we have the connection between love and perfection. You know, you know, you can translate that maybe maturity, completion, but again, it's in connection to love. And that's why, you know, love for God, holy love for God is, is crucial for entire sanctification because, you know, this is what, you know, what's the first and greatest commandment? 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know, it's like you said too, Drew. It's like John Wesley, you know, looked at um, the, those commands as promises. Also, well, here John talks about holy or love in us. Love, love. You know, if if we love one another, God God abides in us, and His love has been what you know, incomplete, not really complete. No, he says perfected in us. So can that happen? Can, can, can a believer experience God's holy love in, in you? Well, according to this verse, you would have to say, if, if we submit to God's scripture, you know, wouldn't you have to say, well, yeah, right? Because, you know, I, I do hear this talk of people, you know, are saying like, um, you know, believer can, you know, is, uh, you know, it's never a moment, you know, you know, when, you know, he sins. And I, I understand what they're saying, right? I'm always imperfect. I'm never going to, you know, match up, up completely to, you know, you know, you know, one to God's standard, but you can enter a state where you can love God and not voluntary sin. And I think we, you know, we intuitively know this, like, you know, there are some, you know, like, you know, you know, when a believer sins, they're, they're convicted, they go towards confession and repentance. But we can also obey God, take joy in obeying God, loving God. Again, it doesn't mean you you know you know you're perfect. You've arrived. You made it. But you can love love God and love one another. And, and God's word says that His love has been perfected in in, in us. And this goes back to well, is this true, or, or are we just going to say, oh, that's that's heresy, that's wrong? You know, grace covers sin. It's not going to free me from sin. Which is which is you know as we saw in Titus, that's not true. That's wrong. I'll let you add add to that. Yeah. Well, the only thing uh, I'm not going to add anything to that necessarily, I would just also back up and, you know, let's look at first John um, chapter three, verses eight through nine. Mm. Um, The one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. Why? Because he is born of God. So again, you know, I find this to be so powerful because I've, I've heard the objection. Well, in first John chapter one, it says he who, uh, he, he who says, uh, he is without sin lies, but the very next verse talks about he who says he has not committed sin. Um, uh, no, sorry. I think that's uh, two verses down. It talks about that. And, and so if we interpret those verses in first John chapter one to somehow imply that we're under the necessity to continue in this sin, this willful sin. Well, it seems to me that we would have a clear contradiction given the affirmation here in first John chapter three, where John not only declares that we won't be uh, practicing sin, but he literally says that we will not commit sin. And it's not based upon anything good in me. But it's because his seed abides in me, and and in so doing, the 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 tree uh, that uh, is good bears good fruit. Um, so um, I'm kind of I'm thinking about the the passages out of uh, the Gospels where Jesus talks about the two different trees. Um, so uh, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Yeah, a good tree is going to bear good fruit. A bad tree is going to bear bad fruit. And I think here, just in different language, that's really what John is saying. He's saying, look, if his seed abides in you, if you are truly born again, and if you are truly um, abiding in him um, and, you know, even asking for forgiveness of sins, because, you know, John talks about, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate, the father, uh, he's uh, 
faithful and uh, just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous unrighteousness. So here we have just that, I, I take it to be a clear affirmation that um, if we are doing those things, uh, trusting in Jesus, putting our faith in him, believing him to uh, uh, fulfill his promises, um, we're going to bear good fruit. Yeah, definitely. I remember um, John Wesley, I, I, I forget what, what book he talked about it, but he talked about how, how then, you know, would a believer know if he's been entirely sanctified? Um, and then, you know, he went into probably, you know, the answer is, well, he probably wouldn't know if he's entirely sanctified because, you know, maybe, you know, somebody could say, okay, well, I guess Christian perfection, entire sanctification could, you know, could be possible and exist. It's like, well, you know, how do I know that I, that I obtained this? Well, I mean, you probably haven't, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you probably haven't. Uh, you know, if you have, you probably won't know it. So, and you probably won't, won't know it. So, you know, you know, why, you know, why is that really, you know, right? Like, you know, why is it that? Well, if if we can know that the Bible teaches this, that 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 a believer can actually obey God, and can actually have God's love abiding in you, where it's perfected, as as First John says, God's grace transform your being, as Titus two says, and and, and God actually promises and gives you the grace sufficient for this. Well, it's like, well, how you know how do I know that I've I've entered this, or if I have entered this, how do I know that that I entered this? And again, it, well, it's probably like, well, you know, you probably won't. You know, like, why is that? Because, you know, you know, one of the, you know, the things is, you know, when you get holier or when you grow as a Christian, God conforms you more towards Christ. And and, and people will, even who don't hold entire sanctification, you know, uh, they'll admit this. The more aware of their sin, their, their, their own faults, their own imperfections, and their, their craving for righteousness and to love God increases more and more. And that leads you to realize, man, I am a really bad person. Christ really does need, you know, need to say, you know, to, uh, to save me and work in me, um, you know, uh, you know, so I just wanted to like, you know, kind of, you know, draw it out, you know, in case somebody's thinking, well, again, okay, well, I accept this. Well, how do I know this? Well, it is by faith, but if you do enter it, you probably won't know it, but I will say this. And, um, this is kind of crucial too, is that, you know, we all had, had the, these moments in our Christian life where we, we look back, we recognize that, I was more on fire for God during this period or that period. And I'm not talking about, oh, I fell away. You know, you know, you can happen multiple times where you enter in your Christian life, you know, deeper moments of what feels like God's grace in your life. God's really working in you. Your heart's hunger for him more. You're on fire for him more. Well, you know what, you know, what's happening there is, is that, is, you know, is that a form of, of, you know, you're just doing better and you, you know, you're just kind of like, uh, I don't know, just, you know, hitting all, all the right notes in, in the Christian life, or is, is God's love in your heart filling you up more? Are you more wholeheartedly loving God? And I would argue that in those moments, by God's grace, of course, God is working in you more. And he is, you know, pouring out, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, like, you know, second blessings, but kind of like the term, you know, whatever kind of blessing, right? You know, whether it's third, fourth, fifth, or sixth blessing, whatever kind of blessing God has for believers, extra blessings, which he does, I want to receive those by faith and I want to keep on, on, you know, pursuing those. Yeah. So, um, I think you were bringing up a a pretty, uh, um, important point there about, um, you know, people who, uh, are asking the question, you know, how do I know when I've obtained this, uh, this, um, this work of grace, we'll, we'll call it that. Um, and I think two things that I would note, um, number one, the doctrine of entire sanctification, it's, it's not, it's not uh, a focusing on, 
what we get, but it's focusing on who we get. If I mm -hmm. could say it like that, it's, it's not focusing necessarily on the gifts as much as it is the giver. It's, it's about the giver of the gifts. Um, and number two, I would say that, you know, somebody who has genuinely experienced this, you got to remember, we're talking about the fruits of the spirit here. We're talking about somebody who is living in that holy love. They are filled with that holy love. They're cleansed of that inbred sin. Um, and so the fruits of the spirit are going to be manifesting um, in, an, in an abundance manner. So, uh, you know, humility, uh, somebody who's living in, in that, um, that uh, a holy love, humility is going to be very strong. It's going to be very predominant. And so somebody who has that humility due to the work of grace that God has done in them, they're not worried about themselves. They're, they're not focusing on themselves. So even if they had experienced this, um, this work of grace, you know, they're, they're just, they're living in and manifesting that love exactly how the Bible commands us to do it. And so I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I, I just think that that concept is so important to grasp that it's, you know, this isn't about us becoming better people. It's not about us, you know, trying to be better than everybody else. It's just simply about God promising to do, uh, do this in our hearts. And as this work is being accomplished, you know, there's both a greater awareness of our sinfulness, but there's also an even greater awareness of his grace where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, mm. you know, and if you want a biblical example of what I'm, what I'm trying to express here, I think it's either first or second Timothy where Paul, um, and, and if I recall correctly, this is towards the, the, the end of Paul's life, you know, uh, he's writing this letter to Timothy and, and Paul in, in the first chapter, he says, he talks about how he's the chief of sinners. Now think about that, regardless of whether we can agree that Paul experienced entire sanctification or not. The point is, is that one thing is for sure. Paul was a saint and he was a true follower of Christ and he truly was filled with the Holy spirit. And it seems like as this man gets further and further and further in his life, we have these depictions, what seems to be clear affirmations of what we as Wesleyans would call entire sanctification. But yet there's also a clear affirmation. I'm the chief of sinners, but it was, it was for this reason that God showed me mercy. And I just think that that's so profound and a beautiful picture uh, of, of what I believe Wesley was trying to encapsulate in his teachings on, on grace and sanctification, um, that, you know, grace has the power to, to bring this about uh, because of what Christ accomplished. Um, and the experience is going to vary, but I, I, think, I think in many respects, the results should be the same, cleansing from all sin, filled with his love loving God and loving your neighbor. Yeah, and, and Christians are always, you know, uh, Christianity is not about becoming the best version of, of yourself or just God, you know, making you like it, like it, uh, going from an Apple iPhone, you know, 10 to, you know, to an iPhone 15 or anything like that. And, you know, I mentioned that because you mentioned about, you know, um, humility, it's not about us. The reason why is because it's about God conforming us to the image of Christ. You know, we have those bumper stickers on our cars, we see them, we have them tattooed, uh, not me personally, but, you know, you know, speaking like, you know, uh, generically, he must increase, I must decrease. But the truth is, 
do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Luke is like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says, I, I, I'm dead. Well, then who, you know, who lives? Paul says, not I. Well, then who, Paul? Christ. Christ lives in me. And that's what sanctification is about. That's what glorification is about. It's about becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And when you're entirely sanctified, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be all wrapped up in myself. You're going to be wrapped up in, in just wholehearted love for God. And as Christians, you know, we should, uh, you know, pursue that, you know, we should, be, uh, you know, pursue entire sanctification. You know, we should pursue holiness. God commands, be holy as I am holy. Guys, uh, you know, we've been having some, um, you know, Wi-Fi problems. So you know, I'm going to end this conversation, you know, you know, station here just so, you know, we don't run into more problems. But, you know, um, I appreciate, you know, the time, Drew, you know, that we had. And I just want to leave the audience, too, with some encouragement. You know, as we talk about entire sanctification, one of the best things that we can do, do as Christians is just to, you know, to remind ourselves to spend time daily in private devotion to the Lord. Because, like, you know, we want to be holy, right, Drew? You know, we want to be, you know, follow and love exactly. God. Well, let's spend time with him, reading his word. Exactly. And in prayer daily. Um, I'll let you give some final words. And, uh, you know, again, you know, thank you for coming on. But, you know, if you want to give some final words, Drew, and then we'll, uh, you know, call it a night. Yeah, no, Lucas, again, thank you for having me on. It, it's kind of unfortunate that we had a lot of technical <laughs> issues, but uh, okay. I think I think we made it uh, made it work the best we could. If I could give uh, any final encouragement uh, to anybody who may uh, be listening to this, um, you're going to have a lot of questions and that's okay. Um, even those uh, who study this doctrine, I still have plenty of questions myself. I just keep looking to the scriptures. Um, you know, I, I take everything that I'm learning. I, I weighed against the scriptures and I asked myself, is the Bible in fact teaching this? Um, and more importantly, relationships need to be cultivated. Um, and if we want to grow spiritually, we need to cultivate a relationship with Christ. And then just ask ourselves one question. When I come across these promises in scripture, do I really trust that God uh, the one making these promises to me, do I really trust in his all sufficiency and his absolute faithfulness to bring these promises about? Um, and I think I can confidently answer, and I hope I hope everyone else can too, that God is truly faithful. Mm. Drew Wilson is not faithful in many respects, but God is faithful. Um, he will bring this to completion. He will do it. Um, and if we do sin, we we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We can go to him. We can ask for forgiveness. We can continue to trust in him. Uh, we can continue to abide in him. Uh, and knowing that it's, it's all grace from start to finish, it's all grace. And for that, I'm thankful. Amen. And there's a verse, First Thessalonians 5, right? You know, Paul talks about how, how um, you know, he'll sanctify you. Was it mind, body, and soul? And he goes, faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he who will do it. So guys, That's right. thank you for tuning in. Please, can you please like this video? You know, that helps, you know, get, uh, you know, get it out more into people's content feed and please share it and subscribe to method ministries. And we're also on Apple and Spotify as well. Drew, thanks again. And guys, uh, thank you again for listening until next time. God bless.